Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director here at QSR. And so this week we are joined by, I'm trying to think exactly how I would describe the category we're going to talk about, but I would say it's maybe a jack of all trades in every category. So I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. Actually, if you go way back in time to the very first panel I ever sat on in my life, which was six years ago, five years ago, I was actually on that panel with Jim Ballas. So Jim, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, I'll give you a second here. I'll open up the floor to have you tell everybody about yourself, about maybe some of your uh, journey through the industry and what you're doing now, and we'll get into a lot of different topics. Sounds great. Well, thanks for having me on, Danny. Really appreciate it. Um, so uh, I wear a couple of different hats. Uh, I head up the strategic operations group for Capital Spring. Capital Spring is a, uh, a restaurant investment firm. Uh, we act a lot like private equity, um, but unlike strictly private equity, we also provide debt financing. Um, we focus entirely, almost entirely on the restaurant space, although we have been investing in, in other multi-unit uh, non-restaurant businesses as of late, but still heavily focused on the restaurant space. I've uh, been around about 15 years, roughly $3 billion invested in the restaurant space over multiple brands over the years. Uh, we're investing out of our fifth fund right now, which is uh, just about a billion dollars early on in that cycle. And, um, you know, always looking for great opportunities, partnering with great operators and great brands. Um, and, uh, you know, excited about that. Um, in addition, um, I'm the CEO of Sizzling Platter, uh, which is a large uh, franchisee, uh, multi-branded franchisee business. We have uh, roughly 700 restaurants uh, in the U.S. and Mexico across multiple brands, uh, Little Caesars, uh, Wingstop, Dunkin', Jersey Mike's, uh, Jamba, to name a few. And um, in addition to that, uh, I own... Um, a restaurant business in Boise, Idaho, where I live, which is called Lulu's Pizza. Um, it's a fast, casual pizza and sushi restaurant. And uh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of different hats. Um, well, I, I think a good place to start would just be on the investment side. Just kind of take us through what the what the state of things are right now. I mean, it feels as though we it was really hot there for a minute. And then I would say maybe... You know, last year it was it was pretty quiet on the M and A front. A lot of uh, you know profitability and brands. I think they were you know trying to figure some things out before positioning themselves to not get the lowest dollar probably for what they're worth. And now you see a lot of brands you know even going public again. So, just give us kind of a you know a five hundred foot view of of what you're seeing in that space with the restaurants right now. I mean, is it picking up a little bit? Do you think it's going to pick up more? Is it slowing down? You know, what's, um, what's kind of your take? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, a lot depends on the segment that you're in. Um, you know, it, it seems the quick serve segment, you know, has, has greater appeal. It, it tends to be less volatile through various economic cycles. And so um, it has greater appeal, uh, you know, to the investment community. Um, you know, generally speaking, Coming out of COVID, um, there were some you know strong tailwinds for various brands, and so a lot of uh, groups saw some pretty intense valuations, and and so they went to market based on those valuations. Um, and then you know fast forward to sort of Q1 of this year, you know you saw with um, you know some of the rate hikes and, and fears of recession, 
there were some groups and then, you know, just some struggles with margins from labor pressures and commodities pressures, specifically, you know, in the latter part of last year, um, you know, the selling off of a TTM was very challenging. And so, you know, people felt like they'd be better suited to wait. Uh, then with rate hikes and, and some of the banks tightening, um, despite some good margins uh, in Q1, as, as some of those pressures eased a bit, you know, you started to see businesses come to market, but really sell off of more pro forma than, than trailing 12 data. And, you know, frankly, that's how we were looking at it as well, because, you know, there were some noise in the trailing 12 data that wasn't as relevant to, you know, the forward looking business as we look at it from an investment standpoint. Um, and so, you know, the M&A market slowed a bit, I would say, um, you know, in, in, in portions of this year, um, you know, interestingly, you know, some of some of the deals that came to market were really derived out of fatigue. You know, you saw some business owners that were just exhausted you know, three years, yeah. of, you know, various challenges. Um, and, you know, interestingly, you know, where, you know, sometimes you see businesses come to market because people want to grow or, you know, they've reached a point in life where they just want to exit. Um, you know, we saw a few deals actually that were really driven by fatigue, uh, you know, which is a little bit unusual for a business cycle. But when, you know, people were pretty candid with their responses at times, you know, why are you selling? Well, you know, I just, I, I'm not sure I want to operate in this business anymore. So, uh, which, yeah, you know. yeah, I can understand that. Especially if you look into the horizon at all the things coming down the pipe, it, it didn't look like there was a ton of let up really. Or there was something new that was going to challenge you, inflation, whatever it might be, you got from one hurdle to the next these days. Yeah. But, you know, fortunately, I think, you know, from our perspective, I think, you know, some of the labor pressures, it, it's a it's easier to hire people. There's more applicants in the market. Um, people are, are more eager to stay with the companies where they start. Uh, there are some technologies that are out there that are engaging team members a lot more. Um, and so I think, you know, we've adapted to the new dynamic of, you know, interacting with, with team members in the field. And I think that's paying, starting to pay dividends. So, you know, with wage pressures eased, that's a big one. And, and some of the supply chain issues have eased, you know, TBD and what happens, obviously, with wars in, in Ukraine and, and elsewhere. But, um, you know, with those eased, it's, you know, generally become a, a, a simpler model combined with, you know, some of the technologies that are out there that are making life simpler um, for restaurant operators, you know, whether it's you know, chat, answering the phone or taking an order through a drive through or, um, you know, helping some of the camera technologies with drive through cues and, you know, saying, OK, you know, there's eight cars behind the menu board. You know, you better drop more fries. Um, yeah. So some of the technology that's coming to play combined with some of the easing, you know, we're starting to see operations um, easing up a bit. You know, it was interesting. The other day I was talking to somebody and they, you know, they had designs, I guess, to become a, an independent, you know, mom and pop type operator, but they couldn't get, they couldn't get any, you know, reaction from the bank until they elected to become a, a quick service franchisee. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when, once they shifted into that direction, um, the bank loaned them the money. Uh, and, you know, and I remember, I'm just trying to think of, you know, if you went back 10 years ago, you know, how different might 
that have been. Um, but but that's happening a lot, I think, now in terms of securing financing and, and in terms of the type of sector you want to get in. And, you know, it's tough for independence now. But, um, you know, to your point, I think the QSR space, you know, right now is really kind of showing a little bit of stability, you know, and that's probably leading to a lot of different, you know, avenues of growth here. Yeah, I'd agree. And, you know, the, the, the banks, obviously, you know, it's a combination of rates and underwriting the right deal in the right way. And, um, you know, the banks have de- definitely tightened, you know, because there's a microscope on, you know, their lending practices and standard operating procedures as there is the underlying investment. And so, you know, it, it's tougher to get financing out there right now. Um for all the reasons that one would expect, but the good businesses are, are you know, still getting the right types of financing and, and they're able to develop those relationships with the banks. And, and you know, um, I, I think it'll continue to get better. So I get, I get asked this from time to time from, from kind of younger entrepreneur operators, especially in the fast casual space of, you know, how they can really position themselves to, be seen by by a group like Capital Springer, or how they can strike a partnership in this you know kind of world. And I guess from your perspective, and you're looking to you know find brands to work with, you know, and you're offering advice to someone to say, okay, you know, go and do this, this, and this, and you know, maybe we'll talk later, kind of thing. But you know, what would you say to somebody who is kind of looking for that stage of their life cycle in terms of becoming you know much more you know, appealing to, you know, someone like Capital Spring. I mean, what is kind of the playbook for them to follow to position for that? Yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't mention before too, but uh, we have a new fund that we just raised, uh, you know, very, very recently that's investing in some of these small growthier businesses. Um, So it's a great, you know, segue to talk about that. You know, uh, PE, you know, we obviously look at, um, you know, key metrics of the business, uh, key performance indicators, just like businesses look at themselves. And, you know, those always include, you know, start with EBITDA, what are the store level margins, you know, to the extent that the store level margins are thin. Uh, so the store level of profitability after, you know, COGS, labor, controllable or OPEX, however you classify those expenses, rent, um, you know, you don't want a business that's fragile. Right. So it needs to have healthy margins on the bottom that can withstand a a slight downturn or or pressures from, you know, any of your prime costs. And so, you know, we like to see, you know, in the, you know, high double um, teens and then, you know, into the 20s, ideally uh, for store level margins. Um, Certainly, if you want to franchise your business, you know, it's important to be in the high teens because if you're paying royalties and marketing to a franchisor, you know, again, you want a healthy margin and, and you want franchisees to be profitable after payment of, of those items. And so, you know, it's important to be, you know, in the high teens and, and above for that. But, you know, we, we start with store level profitability. Uh, we look at, um, you know, other factors of the business, you know, what the recent trends are. Uh, we look at, you know, how they manage the various revenue channels these days, you know, dine in, off premise. Um, how technologically savvy it is, you know, what the leadership uh, of the business is, is important to us. Um, You know, do they have a good culture? Um, You know, is it aligned with our culture at Capital Spring? 
Uh, those are all important. Um, you know, and then there's other factors that improve valuation. So portability of the brand is a big one, right? I mean, has does the brand just operate in a single tiny geography and it may appeal to that geography for whatever reason? Um, or, you know, is it opened in multiple geographies, meaning, you know, typically different states? And so therefore, you know, the opportunity for growth is is more founded and we can invest into something because it's been proven that, you know, it, it operates and has succeeded in multiple geographies. Um, and so, you know, we look at those factors, um, you know, and then we look at, you know, what's the strategy of the business? What's the segment? Um, you know, a lot of times we ask ourselves, you know, why does this brand need to exist? Um, is it a Me Too brand that for whatever reason operates better, more efficiently, you know, is competes well against the segment out there that it competes with. Um, you know, we just ask a variety of questions as we look at those businesses. Um, you know, typically size wise, you know, is a question that we get a lot, you know, am I too small uh, for an investment from Capital Spring? A lot depends on the economics of the business. You know, if you have four or five stores and they're highly profitable, you know, you have a great pipeline of growth. And, um, you know, basically you just need someone to invest in the business and, and sort of pour gas on the fire. It can be a great fit for us uh, because, you know, we like to partner with businesses like that and, uh, you know, with strong leadership teams that can really, you know, continue to grow and, and we can provide capital and, um, you know, some help with, with other areas of the business. You know, one thing. Um, that makes Capital Spring a little bit different that I think is important to, to bring up here is because we're focused on the restaurant space and we really try to leverage our scale, you know, we can bring certain economics to the table and strategies, whether it's, you know, site selection that, you know, we've subscribed to multiple site selection platforms and, and so we can help with site selection, you know, purchasing, you know, we found out, you know, at one point I reached out to our portfolio companies and we had 36 different SKUs of straws and, you know, it's crazy. Right. And so then, you know, I was like, Hey, maybe we should narrow that down to two or three and let's see what kind of savings that can yield. And it was very material as we consolidated purchasing of something. It doesn't really impact the guests, napkins, garbage bags. You know, I started with things like that and then, you know, we've added in, um, you know, others, you know, master services agreements with, you know, companies that we all engage with, um, you know, on a regular basis, I don't want to plug one over another, but, you know, a lot of the back of the house support uh, services, um, you know, we have master services agreements that people can plug into. Um, so anyway, back to your original question, you know, it, it's economics, it's portability, um, it's leadership, um, you know, are some of the key elements. Yeah. So as an investor, I mean, as I think this, I'm just kind of guessing here, this probably happens less often nowadays than it did a few years ago, but I mean, is there a fine line between, you know, you see a concept that really needs to be fixed, you know, but you could say to yourself, okay, I have, you know, these things that you mentioned and supply and, you know, some of the technology and the best practices and, you know, your own leadership where you could kind of do a reclamation project on something that, you know, has good bones, but, you know, is a little bit of a mess or do you stay away from, you know, those type of investments? I, I think in the, um, you know, in the media space, you know, we see that happen a lot. Um, and I don't really mean it negatively, but you're going to say, okay, well, um, you know, we could translate what we do over here and then, you know, make this publication, you know, boost their engagement and things like that. But 
I mean, does that happen often in this case, you know, where, or with restaurants, I think it, it did back in the day a lot, especially in casual dining, but I mean, what are your thoughts just on kind of that element of investing and, and being a partner for things? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends a little bit. You know, we typically do not invest in turnarounds. You know, those businesses that are really struggling and, you know, we're, you know, whether we believe or hope that, you know, that business can be turned around is is not a big focus of ours. That being said, there may be a business that's simply not optimized. And that's a completely different story where, you know, it may be doing decently or pretty well, but, you know, we know that by, you know, partnering with us and, and bringing some of the experience to the table that we have, um, you know, I'm on the, the, the operations team, you know, I've been a, a restaurant operator my whole life. Um, and, you know, another member of our team is on that as well. And so, you know, we see tons of deals, um, you know, we're constantly out in market looking at new opportunities and we see best practices. And to the extent that, you know, we feel like a business, you know, is doing well, but could do that much better, um, you know, if we were to help them in, in you know, various capacities, uh, we do look at that. And, you know, we do see that at times where we can say, you know, this business is, is having, you know, we just looked at a deal recently, this business is having a lot of success, but, you know, there's so many things they could be doing. And, you know, we think that we can really, you know, enhance top line and bottom line, um, you know, if we were to partner with them. And so, you know, we do look at those opportunities, but, you know, we tend to steer clear of some of the true turnarounds. Right. I kind of want to segue into um, sort of the, you know, what what's actually happening within the space of, of the restaurant world itself. You know, interestingly, a lot of a lot of operators on the franchisor side that I've talked to recently have and definitely in the multi-brand space have talked about, you know, the sophistication of the franchisee and the groups has really, you know, come up recently, um, even to the point where you see some of them buying each other, <laughs> which, which, you know, I don't really recall happening all that much until the really last couple of years, you know, where you have a franchisee group, you know, buying an entire chain, you know, out of bankruptcy, which we've seen, you know, Corner Bakery and some others that have fit into that bill. Let's talk a little bit about this survey um, that I saw, you know, here with TD Bank that 41% of franchise operators said they plan to re or invest in, in store re-imaging. And I thought that kind of spoke to that broader point there, um, you know, that we're kind of emerging to a point where the franchisee and the groups themselves seem to have a, you know, they're a little back on the front foot um, of being aggressive in their own growth. So I guess start with you know, what your thoughts are on that and in particular of, you know, remodels and the return of investments suddenly and, and things like that. And we kind of get into the trends of the space. Sure. I mean, you know, some brands are more aggressive about remodel schedules than others, you know, and I, I think um, in order for, in order to receive engagement from the franchisee, proving out an ROI certainly helps. Um, it's going to be a lot easier to get a franchisee to remodel a store if they know that they're going to get a return on it. And that return, you know, is in a reasonable time frame. So I think it's, it's important. Um, but, you know, there is a bit of a defensive play too. You know, I'm sure you understand this, Danny, you know, um, if a store is extremely outdated um, and, you know, everybody around them has been remodeled, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's not so much, 
the ROI as it is to remain competitive um, in your geography and your segment. And so it's, it's really a combination of the two. And I think, um, you know, in certain brands, um, some of the franchise base, you know, has fallen behind and, you know, in others, you know, they've done a great job. Um, certainly Jersey Mike's, you know, uh, Peter Cancro subsidized a number of the remodels in that system, if not almost all of them. And so, you know, they were able to aggressively remodel in a short time period. Um, you know, they'd be at one end of the spectrum. Um, then you have others, um, you know, where, you know, they, they, they've fallen behind and, you know, and, there are certain brands where it's, you know, may not be as relevant. Um, and then, you know, it's important to think about remodels from the perspective of where you invest the dollars. You know, if you're primarily a drive-through business where 70 to plus percent of your business come through the drive-through, you know, investing, you know, in the store for that other 30% is probably going to yield a lower return. Um, so, you know, are there things doing the exterior to pull people into the drive-through, um, you know, that might be a better investment. So looking at it from that perspective as well, I think is important. I'm not sure if that, if I answered your question. <laughs> no, yeah, you did. I was, I was kind of ask you also too, this had crossed my mind when you first mentioned it, but you know, what are your thoughts on, um, the drive through AI tech that you kind of glanced at before I've, um, I've actually yet to see that in person in terms of actually going as a consumer. I've seen a test of it in California, but I mean, do you think that I read, I just, I think I read some of the wall street journal last week that within, I think it was three or to five years. And of course this is the uh, vendor speaking, but you know, they said they thought there'd be no people taking drive throughs which I don't agree with, but I get the point that they're trying to make. And what is your thought on that technology? You know, having seen it, you know, from the operator standpoint, yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's kind of like, you know, back in the day when we all had, you know, we all knew that that some sort of video phones, we probably didn't think it was going to be FaceTime or, you know, Zoom, but would be around the corner, uh, knowing that the technology was headed there as, as video became, you know, a, an easier technology to proliferate. But, um, you know, this is definitely a technology that is going to be, you know, Look, it's the hardest position to hire in a QSR is that drive-through position. They're multitasking, they're taking an order, they're assembling an order, they're processing payment um, in cases where you may not have two windows. And so uh, to solve for that is extremely important. Um, so, you know, not only is it a, a hard position to do, it's a hard position to train, it's a hard position uh, to have somebody do a good job. And, um, you know, uh, chat GPT has been a, a great and, and just general AI has been a great uh, technology that can solve that very difficult dilemma that, that we're all faced with. So I do think that come, you know, whether it's three years plus, you're going to start to see uh, a number of drive-throughs, um, you know, and, and we're testing it in one of our businesses right now with enormous success, close to 100% order accuracy in an area of the country that's heavily accented with their dialect. Um, and, you know, in addition, it, your upsell, the upselling is 100% of the time. Um, typically, the speed is faster because the person that would normally be taking the order is listening to the order being taken and beginning the assembly of it and focused on one thing. Um, eventually, you know, you'll be paying with your face or your license plate or, you know, with an app ahead of time. So you won't even be processing payment. And I think all of these will slowly integrate you know, loyalty and everything else. But I... I 
I do think that it's going to be something that we're going to see here really become more common in the QSR space because the technology is there. It really does not have to be proven at this point. It's just a question of getting integrations with point of sale systems um, and voice boxes and, you know, those people willing to try it. Um, but, you know, you're right. seeing, you know, I talked to a district manager a few weeks ago with one of the technologies and he said, you know, basically um, it's about a person and a half that I can save uh, by using uh, the voice at the drive through So I think it's around the corner. Yeah. And, and not, not to mention too, um, they don't put people on hold. You're, you know, you're just walking, you know, you're crossing that loop detector and here comes another order. <laughs> it's, a, right. it's, it's true too of the, uh, you know, the kind of the call center version of that technology, which I think is, is probably even more near term for a lot of brands because, you know, kind of similar to what you're saying there in the multitasking there's still people who call restaurants to place orders and that experience is so bad because, you know, whether or not the person gets your order right is one thing, but they're also busy and they might put you on hold. They may not come back for five minutes. There's a lot of things there that are costing a lot of transactions. Um, you know, yeah, I, we're, I think, yeah, we're testing the call, uh, call answering service, voice AI and one, in one of the brands that we're in with great success. And it takes a lot of pressure off the team to answer the phone in the store. You know, so if somebody calls a store and they have a complaint, they can press a button and speak with the manager. Or if they're placing an order, they can press another button and, you know, voice AI can take that order. The order is repeated back for order accuracy, um, assurance. And, um, you know, and it transcends, you know, again, the, through the drive through whether it's on the phone or, you know, even, you know, the app where you can start maybe you know, a Siri-like uh, conversation where you know, your phone right. is Yeah, I think I think the drive-through technology is just really interesting to watch. Kind of what happens with McDonald's, <laughs> you know, because yeah. they were sort of they were sort of first in line, and then they you know they sold the technology. You know, it wasn't to their standards. They weren't getting the numbers that you kind of hear from a lot of what's happening now. So I'm sure that they'll re-enter that space. Probably not in the distant future, but that usually is the really big domino to fall in terms of adoption from other people, you know, and then you'll have your brands who refuse to do it. Um, you yeah. know, I, I can't really imagine pals sudden service ever doing that or, you know, maybe even Chick-fil-A. I don't know. Um, hard, kind of hard to say, but what are, what are your thoughts on um, some other technologies that are out there that really have, you know, caught your eye? You know, when I was at the Chicago show this year, I thought one of the most interesting things I saw was kind of the evolution of the, you know, quote unquote, serving robot, <laughs> you know, that they had kind of gone from where they were actually taking your order and saying happy birthday to you, where now they're more busting the tables and they're kind of like a, an assistant to the server, uh, which to me signaled that maybe weren't quite ready for a lot of these casual dining chains to not have human interaction at the you know point where you're tipping somebody. So who knows though, but um, yeah, what's on your radar beyond sort of the AI that we discussed? Yeah, I mean, one of them that's kind of an interesting hybrid of the voice of the drive-through is um, there's a technology out there that actually has screens. It's for a fast casual restaurant, although I imagine it would work for uh, QSR as well. Um, but it's a screen with a person from another country that's permanently on Zoom or teams or, you know, pick a, a platform and they have a POS in front of them, 
you know, whatever time zone they're in and you walk up to the counter and a person actually takes your order, but it's not an employee of the business. Um, and it's yeah. very interesting yeah. because, you know, what's, yeah, what's happening with those is a person's taking your order, but, you know, you're just paying some sort of hourly fee. So you're not paying, you know, there's no taxes and benefits. There's no workman's comp. There's no you know, drama between the employees because of their schedule. Um, and then the same person keeps working that Zoom. And so they get to know the regular customers and start interacting with them as well, which is interesting. Uh, and I think that technology has a place because it's sort of a hybrid model. Um, but, you know, more futuristic, you know, definitely automation, you know, which is different than robotics. Robotics is, you know, creating a, a, an arm that can do tasks at the restaurant versus automation that you're seeing with um, Chipotle and Sweetgreen and, and some of the others that you're, you're right. automating, you know, um, whether it's, uh, you know, we've all seen a coffee kiosk, right, that makes any coffee. It's, it is kind of crazy that, um, you know, we're still making coffee when, you know, there's, there's machines that can do that um, and do it 100% right and have a consistent execution 100% of the time. And, you know, one of the tougher things in our business, as everybody knows, it's probably listening to this. It's not so much the execution, but it's ma and it's managing the labor, both in busy times and slow times. Right. And, and, you know, you can't send people home when you're slow because then they don't get the hours or, you know, they're, you know, what do they do for three hours while you're slow or four hours? And one thing that automation does and solves for is that throttling during busy and slow times, you know, an, an automated piece of machinery doesn't matter if it's needs to go faster or slower and solving for that is, is a big piece of our business that I think, um, you know, it's not just the reliability of staff and hiring the staff and, and all the other things that, you know, are associated with, you know, having people in front of the house or back of the house, but it's managing these other ancillary or solving for these other ancillary problems where I think automation, you're going to slowly see more and more of it enter the space, especially in larger brands where they can deploy it and retrofit. Um, you know, they're not having to build stores from scratch. And I think there's definitely a place for automation. And then I, I do think that, um, you know, uh, the, the, the reason why, I, I assume, certainly from my perspective, that, you know, brands are so obsessed with capturing the consumer data is because the future of that consumer data is, you know, whether it's chat GPT or, or general AI um, and what you do with it, it, it's, it's going to be huge opportunities for brands and, and really leveraging that consumer data and, and applying, you know, AI to it so that you can say, you know, those, those guests or consumers that, you know, have bought this product and you can suggest to sell other things or you're rolling out a new, a new LTO and who to, um, really market that LTO too. Um, and then just generally the, the personalized experience that's going to occur three or four or five years from now where, you know, whether you pull up and it recognizes your face. I mean, there's a company out there um, called Pop ID that's doing some incredible stuff with paying with your face um, and recognizing you. And obviously, you know, there's um, some, you know, you have to people have to opt in for it. So they're not just giving their face up, but, you know, I, I do think, um, you know, it's, it's a, it, it's the, the, the personalized experience of, you know, Hey, Danny, welcome. You know, you ordered this last time you're ordering it again. You know, it, it, it's going to be a much more highly personalized experience. Right. I mean, I, I remember years ago, I got an email from 
some restaurant chain offering me like a kids meal discount and I did not have children, you know, it's just like they, they can only send <laughs> one discount out to everybody at once, you know, yeah. and the ability to understand that now, um, you know, on the other side of that equation is, is going to be, it's going to be really valuable. Um, and I think most consumers, you know, even, you know, they're kind of, we're all getting kind of used to giving our data. You know, we all have 12 different subscription programs running in the background of our iPhone. You know, I think that that and newer generations, you know, like things like the face ID that you said there, I think if they're, if they get a good experience and a personalized and the trade-off, they're going to do it, you know, it's, yeah. and it'll be interesting to get, you know, see who gets ahead of that. You know, you mentioned there with, um, you know, Chipotle and they've got this avocado robot, which they call a cobiotic because I guess it's not a robot, <laughs> you know, and it's like semantics of, it isn't that R that you're talking about. And it's, um, it's just interesting to see it in space. I was at a uh, conference not too long ago where White Castle was talking about the Internet of Things um, sort of within their kitchen of the future, which is similar to what you're saying with AI. What, what they want to do is they want to capture data on every device, you know, whether it's, you know, how much it's serving or it's throughput, but also just the health of like a, an oven if it's about to go bad. And they're using AI to take all the data that's just so much flowing in there to make sense of it. So, you know, maybe a less kind of sexy technology change than the Flippy the robot, but maybe even more valuable really going forward. But yeah, exciting I mean, times, you know. That's, yeah. Uh, and I think, too, you're going to see, you know, to that point, uh, there is a technology out there that, that, um, uh, or a service platform that works with facilities where they do exactly that. They, they based on the, the brand of the equipment, the model, of the equipment and its repair history, they'll give you an idea of when it's going to break down and whether or not you should replace it, you know, based on their algorithm. Um, and I, I don't right. know if they fully launched it uh, or they're going to launch it, but you know, that's out there. And I think that's going to be hugely helpful. I think too, you know, camera technology that, is going to assess order accuracy. Um, you know, the number one complaint of consumers in restaurants and drive-throughs and, and QSRs is order accuracy, right? I didn't get uh, an item that I asked for or I asked for it without a certain, um, you know, build on it and it, and it came in correctly. Uh, I think that's going to be a huge. And then, you know, again, I, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, a camera that says there's eight cars waiting in the drive-through, you know, based yeah. on those eight cars, it appears there are three or four people in each car, you know, we should drop this much fries. Um, you know, and I think that's another area, not too sexy, but I think it will <laughs> help improve drive-through speeds. Yeah. White Castle talked about that too. They had suddenly, you know, she was mentioning that they have their whole restaurant outside and inside now is outfitted with cameras. <laughs> yeah. You know, inside, you know, they're able to kind of look at, how many people are in the dining room for the same reason? And obviously some of what's, what is the employee doing, but definitely in the drive-through, um, just have the ability to see how long that line is sneaking up. But yeah, you know, and I think, I think a lot of the conversations I have now kind of sound more like this, you know, I think in, I think in 2021. And so, you know, you really had kind of very um, wild sounding things happening you know, and now you're really kind of looking at the implementation, you know, of how it can help mostly on the labor front, I would say, but then again, on to your point on the accuracy front and then just different forms of optimization. So 
Yeah, before but before I let you go, Jim, I want to kind of just ask you some. I, I tend to ask a lot of people if you're kind of looking to the future here. You know, I guess we're in July. Year's not uh, half a year left, whatever it might be. But what are you looking for as terms of being maybe the big topic? You know, say we were to have this conversation next July. <laughs> you know, what might be what might we be talking about that you know isn't kind of top of mind right now? It's not top of mind. I mean. You or know, maybe we, it is top of mind right now, but it'll be super top of mind then. <laughs> yeah. We look at all aspects of the business, um, you know, so um, it's all sort of top of mind, not not to be arrogant about it, but we try to really dissect every every aspect of what we do on a daily basis to understand what we can do better, you know, whether it's bringing in automation, automation or just optimizing through, um, you know, other strategies. But, you know, I, I think... Um, I think one area that there could be more focus, uh, that there's not quite as much, and there's some services out there that do this, but um, really understanding with delivery and carry out being, you know, huge portions of businesses, even full serve, um, the, the freshness of the product, um, even though they, somebody may be taking it home, but as close to them, as close to that, the, the, whether it's a delivery driver or the, the guest picking it up, um, from when it was made is, is something that I think there needs to be a little bit more focus on. And, and as I said, there are some technologies out there right now that are, that are doing it, um, you know, where, you know, I know I'm 10 minutes away with traffic and it, it's assessing that and it's saying, okay, you know, your food's going to be ready in 13 minutes. You know, you should leave your house at this time or, hey, driver, you know, you're this far away and the food's going to be completed at this time combined with some packaging that maybe can do a better job of maintaining the integrity of the product. I think yeah. with off-premise being as big a factor as it is, some focus on, on those two things um, I think will play a greater role uh, that is not something that people are talking about quite as much. Yeah, I totally agree, especially on the packaging. Again, maybe falls into the category of unsexy, but you know, that, that's one of the best experiences of off-premises if it's done correctly, is if yeah. you actually have good branded packaging. <laughs> I know it's a little easier said than done these days. I remember talking to an operator who had to stop branding his pizza boxes because they just the supply was you know nine months on the lead. But but that'll get better. All waves and cycles of these things. So you know, solutions on that front I think are are very critical as you as you noted. And then packaging, it's better for the environment. You know, we, we yeah. throw so much away. You know, are there pizza boxes that maybe I can drop it off at some station and they'll be collected and recycled or cleaned? And, you know, I think that's the future as well. I think you're going to see a lot more reusable packaging that does a better job of maintaining the integrity than, than paper products. Yeah, we do. We just did a story on a reusable pizza box concept. <laughs> but they were, they were mostly international. I guess they just kind of started in the U.S., but... They've seen good success there, you know, whether um, U.S. consumers would uh, follow suit, I, I hope so, <laughs> but, but I guess uh, I guess we'll find out here in the future. But I think you're right. You know, I, I like that Just Salad does that. I think one of the smart things they did in that front was to incentivize you actually using it, you know, because I think just sometimes with people, if they're not given something for free, they might not actually follow through whether or not they want to or not, but, but it's coming for sure. Um, yeah. I hope so. 
Yes, as do I. Well, Jim, um, last thing, thing here, you know, a lot of our readers are in the space, of course, on the franchise side or in the startup side. But, you know, if anyone's looking maybe to learn more about Capital Spring or about what you all do, um, what would be a good place to, to reach out? Sure, definitely. You know, uh, my email address is uh, first initial, last name. So J-B-A-L-I-S. You can go to the Capital Spring website. Uh, we, you'll see a picture of me that's extremely outdated. I look extremely young, um, but nonetheless, it has my contact information on there. Um, so, you know, capitalspring.com. Um, it's not pluralized. A lot of people say Capital Springs, but it's not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I can see that. That's the best way to shoot me an email and, and we can kick things off. And like I said, we're always looking for great opportunities. So, um, you know, and even if it's just to bounce stuff off of me, a lot of people say, hey, I, I have two units. I, I really want to grow, but I want to grow towards an investment in private equity. What should I do? And I yeah. love hearing those questions as well. Cool. All right, Jim. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a blast as always. Um, for everybody out there who's listening, we appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Great. Thanks, Thanks.